Welcome to My Life, Chassidah Supplied, episode 399. I hope everyone had a truly transcendent, liberating, and meaningful Pesach. We're still basking in the glow. It's Isra Chag, the day after Pesach, Achusha Pesach. And as the reason the Alter Rebbe did not put Chasal Sidr Pesach in the Haggadah, that this is the conclusion, the end of the Pesach process, the Pesach order, is because Pesach continues on, and especially the day after Pesach. So this will be a special post-Pesach, a post-Passover edition of My Life Chassidah Supplied. This program is dedicated in merit of Baruch bin Yom and Ben Menuchelena and Miriam Baschaya Sara Altais and Kusil Ben Leir Rochel and Rochel Bas Libab Farkash, dedicated by Pinchas Todres Ben Miriam and Sara Bas Rochel Altais. So as I said, the energy of this moment is today is the continuing power of Pesach, which continues even though it occurred 3,334 years ago. Pesach is a pool in Mshachas, has a perpetual impact every year, every generation, every day we relive and recreate its experience. And especially once a year on Pesach, the same time of the year when the Eden left Mitzrayim on the 15th of Nisan, and then seven days later was Kriyas Yamsuf, which we celebrated on the 7th of Pesach. And then, of course, Achon Pesach, the last day of Pesach, which concluded with the Minig of the Baal Shem Tov, instituted by the Baal Shem Tov, and then revealed later by the Rabbeim, and then added to that by the Rebbe Rashab, and of course the Rebbe, the drinking of four cups and the eating of three matzahs, or the eating of matzah, I should say, on, uh, on uh, Achon Pesach at the end of the day, when you wash and you eat So that's the energy we're coming from. In practical Hasidic supply terms, it means that we have the power now, a new power more than ever before, because every year has its own unprecedented a new energy to go out of all the limitations, inhibitions, fears, insecurities, traumas, difficulties, obstacles, impediments, everything that is represented by Mitzrayim, which means constraints, it can mean distress, it can mean dire straits, the boundaries, the limits that in some way don't allow us, impede our way of really spreading our wings and being the best we can be in serving the purpose for which God put us in this earth. So as we come from Pesach, we have all the energy of the eight days, and especially the Sudas Shemeshiach, which is the culmination, which is essentially the theme of the Haftera of Pesach, of Pesach the theme of Geula from Yeshaya, famous uh, Nevoah prophecy of Yeshaya, Mola Oriz Deus Hashem, Kamayim Layam Mechasim, prophesizing of a world when the world will be filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. And all the other psukim, the famous psukim, Venochalo of Ruach Hashem, talking about Mashiach and the times of Mashiach. And essentially, this is really the ultimate punchline of Pesach, that Kimet says, Chemeretz Mitzrayim, just as when the days when we left Egypt, I will show you wonders, as we go into the Gula Mitzvah Vashlem, and we've been told by the Rebbe that after the generations and generations of work, of the millions and billions of good deeds and Mr. Snefer is done, we are at the threshold and ready to bring the Gula. As a matter of fact, 31 years ago, right after Pesach, Chav Ches Nisan, which we'll talk about as well, which will be this coming Friday, 31 years ago in Tav Shinun Alev, 1991, the Rebbe spoke that impassioned plea and Sicha about exactly that, how he's done everything he can, the Rebbe, and now he's giving it over to us. So this is the essential energy of where we are, both on a personal and collective level, achieving redemption. And redemption means getting out of the mindset, what the Rebbe calls golos haprimi, the mindset, the heart set of a golos mentality, where things just continue to go as they were, maybe a little better, everyone tries a little better, but actually to create a paradigm shift within our own minds and our hearts and souls to, to open ourselves up to a new horizon. That after all these thousands of years, the time has actually come for a tr- true spiritual revolution. In the words of the Rambam, the the entire business of the world will to know God. And it's based on this Pasuk in the Faftera we said yesterday. As the Rambam brings at the end of Mishnah Tera, the last words from Yeshayim. In the words of the Alter Rebbe in chapter 37 in Tanya, that will be 
the purpose of existence will be realized and fulfilled. And what is that purpose? The Gili of Eden Sof, the Gili Alakus, the divine revelation in this world. But it shouldn't be seen as divine revelation like some type of superimposed outside force. It's the very essence and purpose of why creation was put here in the first place. So now, in a, in a time of Golos, in a time of concealment, the machine of life and the machine of existence stands, and we need to work hard to discover why is it here and to align it to its purpose. The Gaula means it will be aligned to the purpose. The very purpose of existence will dominate, and existence will just fill out, just like a machine follows the operator's manual, the same thing every human being on this earth and every creature and every aspect, every fiber of existence will live up to and realize and fulfill the purpose of the, of the cosmic operator, the operator's manual being the Teda, the cosmic operator being the cosmic architect, being the Ebishter, that everything will be living and aligned exactly to, the, to its deepest purpose and not, way, not wandering off or in any way being hijacked by other agendas, including self-interest. So coming from such a special Yom Tov, and with that particular power, the Mashiach power, this is where we are right now. So of course, in Exodus applied, we have to begin where, where we are right now, the energy of the day, the energy of the time, the Isra Chag Ba'avusim, that we're actually bound, with, this day is still bound to Achon Shab Pesach, and as I said before, the, the light and the energy of Pesach we're still basking in, and our goal is to continue to perpetuate, to continue to make sure that energy only intensifies as it permeates and infuses our days with Geula spirit, and especially the Geula Amitiz Vashlem. And we've been promised and told that we're literally right there. But we still need to do something. And that's why we have a program or programs like this, in order to inspire each other and to figure out what we can do that we haven't done yet. So with that, let me go to some important questions that people have asked. Literally, I've got, received right after Pesach a whole bunch of slew of questions, including during Chalamoyed and before Pesach. So I want to address those, but I want to begin with just a personal note that someone wrote that was just very touching for me, and I uh, want to acknowledge it, so I want to read what this individual wrote. Hello, Rabbi Jacobson. I'm so glad that you are okay. Baruch Hashem. I didn't know that you were sick, and when the podcast was missing... I just assumed that it was a technical issue. I don't have a question, but I just want to let you know how much you mean to me, someone you have never met. Your teachings are so important and have affected me so much. Many times I mention things that I've learned from your podcast to my two children when we learn together. One day they might spread the knowledge to others or to children they might have in the future. I'm sure you know that your teachings, that, I'm sure you know that your teachings affect so many of us but I don't think you really know how much they impact our lives and the lives of our families. You think that you know, but you really have no idea. So I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to help us, help us strangers and to thank Hashem that you are doing better. Okay, thank you very much. I don't see you as strangers. Unless we speak like we speak about Mitzrayim, we were all strangers in a strange land. So I too am a stranger. And I have my teachers and mentors, but I do appreciate your words and thank you so much. And uh, it, uh, it's gratifying to hear. Put a lot of, I put, and we put a lot of effort in preparing these programs and the research, and of course presenting them. So it's always good to know that it's being heard and being appreciated. So thank you so much for that. So now, a few questions in the spirit of what we're speaking about, coming straight from Pesach. Chesidus applied to post-Passover. What are some things we can do to, what, what are some things we can do to assure that the lessons of the holiday of Pesach are, are internalized and last with us the entire year. Okay, so we began talking about it. So I recall the Tov Shinunal, if we go back to Tov Shinunal of 1991, 31 years ago, in the Sikhs that were said by the Rebbe following Pesach, he actually spoke and asked, answered this question directly. We spoke about the concept, uh, he actually began, I remember the Rebbe with a smile, that people are saying to the Rebbe that they're afraid. The Rebbe is saying, Mashiach is about to come. What will happen with all the equity? That wasn't the word the Rebbe used. What will happen with everything we built up, our businesses, our connections, our money? What will happen to it all? Will it be like all lost? The Rebbe responded, no. Geula 
is not replacing that which came before. It adds to it. The very word Geula is made up of the same letters as the word Geula. <coughs> Excuse me. Geula, Gimel, Vav, Lamed, Hey, which means exile, displacement. And Geula is the same letters. You can't have Geula without Geula. As the Alter Rebbe says in chapter 37 in Tanya, that's the Mycenae of the same Bismana Golas. Our work in time of goal is that builds, the building blocks that are the very structure and infrastructure of Geula. However, what makes, what distinguishes between them then? One letter, Aleph. You add an Aleph to Geula, it makes Geula. And what is Geula? Aleph. Aleph is Alufa Shalela, the master of the universe. Hashem Echad, the Aleph. So our job is to insert the divine into every aspect of Geulah. So whatever it is that we built in this world will remain. But we will see, as I said before, the entire business of the world will not be materialism as an end in itself. But L'dasas Hashem Bolvad. This doesn't mean everyone will be a theologian or a philosopher. It means that everyone, in all your ways, in every way, in your work, at home, your your, uh, even your leisure would all be permeated with that Aleph of Alufish Shalela. That means that, what, that that's the work we need to do. So if you want to assure that the lessons of the holiday are internalized and last with us the entire year, is that we maintain a Geula approach to life. Which means, simple terms, that whatever you do, always look for and say, I just ate a meal. How does that meal help me become stronger? How does it teach me to bring more godliness into this world? To be, to be kinder, to be gentler, to be someone more committed and devoted to my family, to the others, to do another extra mitzvah, to learn more tater, to daven a little more. So it's all about that type of consciousness and awareness, geula consciousness. That's how you make sure that the energy continues. Now, of course, there's a difference between gulas mitzrayim and gula mitzvah vashleimah, even though it's one flow, and we spoke about it in the program before Pesach, because even even in the future we will remember Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim because that was the opening door that opened the tzinner, the channel for Geula in general. The culmination will be Gula Mitzvah because when the Jews left Egypt, they still were displaced. There were moments, there were times where they had the Beis Hamikdash, even as hundreds of years, but it didn't last. And then it will become a lasting, the final Gula will be a lasting Gula, but one that began with Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. So the first thing is we need to do is live Geuladik, which means to live with the Aleph. Everything you do, in every little detail of life, you can find that. That's what Chassidus teaches us. From my flesh I behold God. Your very flesh can teach you about godliness. Your very psyche, your very being, and definitely every part of the world, when we contemplate on any piece of nature, on any species, and any detail, you can see the hand of God. And you learn about God's powers. And you learn about God's faculties and attributes. God's power to give, God's power to restrain. Chesed, Gvura, Teferes. Lecha, Hashem, Agdula, Gvura, Vateferes, Vanetzach, Vahid. Vechol Hashem, Beshemayim, Vaharetz, Yisoyed, and Malchus. So everything is covered. And, but that takes a certain conscientiousness and effort. Because naturally, you look at the world, it conceals that which is within it. That's why it's called teva, nature. Nature like tovu biyamsuf, like when you say something submerged in water, you throw an object in water, the water covers it over and you don't see it. The same is the divine aleph and everything in existence is concealed in what we call nature. However, it's our job is to reveal it and say, you see this beautiful nature, you see a sunrise, that's a divine experience. And we can learn divine elements of Shem Shemog and Hashem Alekim. That Hashem and Alekim, the two names of God, are two energy forces compared to the sun, Shem Shemog, and to its sheath, its, its shield. So everything has lessons. You read in Tehillim, especially the different chapters, later chapters, where Dovod HaMelech speaks about nature. And that you could see within nature, every aspect of nature reveals another part of the divine. The same is with our work, with our activities, our interactions. But it takes that effort. And when we do that, we reveal the geula, the aleph, 
in the Gaila, and that creates Geula. So that's one way t- we can do this. Obviously, the sky's the limit, because we have, thank God, 613 mitzvahs, many that can be performed today physically, others spiritually. So every time you fulfill another mitzvah, which comes from the word tzavzavachib, but a connection. Connection with what? You're connecting your physical being and your physical actions and your thought, speech, and action with the divine will by manifesting it in your thoughts, in your speech, and your actions, aligned to the way God wants you to live your life. When you speak, and you speak properly, you speak lovingly, kind words about another, Avis Yisrael, your mouth, your very mouth, is revealing the Aleph of Alufa Shalelam in Goyla. When you speak whatever you want to speak about, God forbid nonsense, or worse, waste, wasted words, or even negative, then you're not aligning it to. And therefore, the, then the Aleph is shrouded and covered up in the Goyla, in a displaced state. What is displacement? Displacement means exile. Exile is not always a physical that you're not where you belong in your homeland. It means spiritually you're not aligned with what you should be doing. Your mouth is not aligned with what it should be doing. And the same thing with our actions and the same thing with our thoughts. And every aspect of our lives, every mitzvah we know corresponds to another part of the human body, as the Sefer Charedim explains in detail. And every mitzvah and every part of Torah corresponds to another aspect of the universe. So there are mitzvahs that are connected to Daimim and to Tzemeach and to Chai and Medaber, to the mineral world, to the vegetable world, to the animal world, to the human world. There are mitzvahs that are connected to different aspects of existence. Like when you take tzitzis, you're dealing with linen, we're dealing with wool. When you take tefillin, you're taking cloth, you're taking parchment, which is made from the hide of an animal, and you're elevating it. You're binding your mind and your heart through tefillin, the same thing with every mitzvah. What's required is when you learn chassidus, you come to realize not just to do the mitzvahs, which of course is the main thing, the action, but you also understand how each mitzvah is revealing the aleph of Elakus, in the words of the Tanya, chapter 37, the Maiseni of our work and our effort and our avoida, is revealing the Elakus within everything in existence. And when you do that, you are creating Geula. Geula is a product the final product of all the building blocks of our good deeds. And of course also the things we avoid, the things you're not allowed to do, is also a revelation of the divine. By not doing something that you're not supposed to do is also a revelation. So these are some, this is one of the ways of how we continue the Geuladika experience of Pesach into our daily routines and lives. And that's actually the challenge, to do it Pesach, there's a holiday, it has all the koyach and the power of a holiday. But to be able to carry it into a mundane world, including a world of chametz, which now is no longer forbidden, on the contrary. On Shabbos, you're supposed to wash and eat bread, but you bring the humility of the matzah and the spirit of Pesach into our daily activities, including into our egos, into the chametz of our lives. That's the goal, not to remain separate, to take that energy and elevate existence. And of course, as we'll talk about a little later, Svira Sa'emer, which began the second night of Pesach, which also carries Pesach energy, the refinement of our animal soul, the refinement of our, emotion, our emotions, our characteristics, our chesed, our gvura, our teferes, netzach, chayd, malchus, and the seven within seven, seven emotions within each of the emotions, all part of the process of revealing the aleph of the divine, the divine purpose in everything in existence. That existence should not be separate from its purpose, but should be aligned to. That every action, every behavior, every activity is aligned with the purpose for which it was created. And that is, everything was created for God's glory, for revealing the Aleph of Alufa Shalelam that turns Gaila into Geula. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, some ta- something during the Seder made me think that if you have time to discuss it on your amazing Sunday night program, I would appreciate it. The Rebbe has always been consistent, and we see it in many of his published letters and from videos from Sunday Dollars, 
that whenever someone would tell the Rebbe that there was, that there was a bad Jew, or a half-Jew, or a non-practicing Jew, or a distant Jew, etc., the Rebbe would always respond that there's no such thing as a bad or evil Jew. And using such terminology as bad, Jew, as bad Jew is impossible because in essence we have a holy neshama that is part of God, and always connected to God. With that thought in mind, and the Rebbe is 100% right when he says this, yes, why does that God, which is part of the Torah, refer, refer to one of the four children, one of the four sons, as the Russia, as the evil son? When in essence, it's impossible for any Jew to be evil. Okay, very practical question, which really can be applied not just to the Haggadah. You find the word Russia not just in the Haggadah. You find it in Torah. The word Russia is used at different times. Torah Shebiksav, and especially Torah Shebalpeh. You can go even further, Tanya. The written Torah of Chassidus, Torah Shebiksav of Chassidus, talks about Tzadik, Russia. And he goes on to explain what's exactly a Russia, a Russia of a Tevle, a Russia of a Raleigh. However, the explanation is, so the word is used. And yet we know what the Rebbe emphasized. So a few points, let's make a few points. The Rebbe has an interesting statement, interesting explanation. On one hand, we find that Aphila Begnushan Shal Behemal the Torah doesn't even speak when it talks about, for example, when the animals were brought before the flood to the ark for Noah's safekeeping to save them. When it came to an animal that was not pure, it's called Eina Tehera. It doesn't say Tmeya. It says not pure instead of saying impure. Because the Torah does not speak even in an animal, will not, doesn't want to speak in negative terms even about an animal. And yet, ask the Rebbe a question, famous Sikh in Noyach, We find in places where the Torah very explicitly says this person is a Russian. This, person, this is kosher, this is treif. This is toyer, this is tomei. Vayik are full of mention of that. It's pure, impure. It doesn't say ain't a toyer. So the answer is very, very simple answer, but also very profound. That when you're talking in general about something, there's no reason to speak in any negative terminology. When you're talking halacha, when you need to have total clarity that something is allowed or not allowed, then you don't mince words, so to speak. So you won't add the extra word, not pure. You'll say it's, not, it's impure. Because halacha requires clarity. So the same thing you can apply here. But there's the, the, in principle, when we talk about people in general, especially Jews, of course, even though he sins, he's still Yisrael. And every morning you say, the soul you've given me is pure. And the essence of the soul always remains pure. And yet the Torah will define that if a person does a certain thing, they're called a Russia. Someone raises their hand against another, called a Russia. There's a lot of places where it says a person is called a Russia. Why? Because you need to know that's a fact too. So sitting by the Seder, you have to define the reality. The reality is there are people who rebel, some deliberately, some not deliberately, but you have to define what they are. The Torah is not coming to say something demeaning. It's just coming to give us that total clarity. So if you talk about the person to say, you're a Russia, no, that's not an approach to take, especially if it doesn't have any benefit. If halacha has to come and designate a certain thing, the halacha will say, this type of behavior is the behavior of a rasha. But even a rasha can do tshuva, firstly. Secondly, you see the rasha is also invited to the seder table, and he's also responded to. Because we're not talking about the designation, now we're talking about the attitude. Now this is in all times. When you talk especially today, when most Jews are in the category, the people, Jews who do not know, or are not observant, is because they're tenik shenishba bena akum. It's not because they chose. They grew up in a home where they weren't even taught what Pesach is, or what a Shabbos is. That's a whole different category. There's a category of a deliberate sin. There's a category of an inadvertent one, shegek, mezit, shegek, those first two. There's a category of an onus where someone's forced. And then there's a category of a tenik shenishba. He was never taught, he doesn't even know what it is. 
So the Rambam Paskins, that a person like that is completely absolved, not because of any, because simply didn't know better. So you talk about a person like that, can you call a person like that a Russia? Or you can call a person like that a Tinik Shanish, but maybe like the fifth son that doesn't even come to the Seder. So I think it's important to distinguish between designating, when you speak about a category like the Alter Rebbe and Tanya, even though Tanya Rosh Tevla is a pretty high level. It's someone that even did one time in thought, speech, and action. Aved is already a Rosh Tevla. A Benini controls his thought, speech, and action, even though he has a Yetzirah, has an animal soul. I'm not going to get into the whole discussion explaining it right now. But there's also Rosh Virale, which is where he says, is a, at the end of chapter 11, pretty harsh description, because we need to know the facts. So we're not naive. It's not when the Rebbe is saying that a person is not a beginner or is not evil. It's not like naive in saying that the person didn't sin. It's how we look at a person, how we educate them, how we inspire them, that we always have to look for the good, look for the divine soul within them. But halachically speaking, for example, certain people are kosher for being witnesses, let's say, at a chuppah, at a marriage ceremony. You're not going to say because every Jew is be'etzim chelikan ba'amamish, anyone can be a witness. Because now you're talking halacha, and halacha has certain requirements. Jewish law. So that's a general approach to it. So we're not talking about labeling anyone or naming anyone or being condescending or, or prejudiced. When we have to describe what someone is, we describe. But at the same time, the attitude is always one of love and always one of trying to reveal the deeper neshama within them. It would be like saying, since someone is a divine soul and then they do a crime and the crime, and they get arrested and they get convicted and they put into prison. You're going to say, no, yes, they have a even when they're in prison. And now they need rehab. Now they need to do tshuva. So we don't ignore the fact they did something bad just because they have a divine soul. The divine soul means there's hope for them and let them, let's help them grow, let's help them repent and do tshuva and return would be even a better word to the, who they truly are. Okay. So now let's go to Mashiach Suda. Yesterday was Achim Pesach, the last day of Pesach. And um, we all had Mashiach Suda at the end of the day as the minig, the custom that the Baal Shem Tov instituted, which was that before the, before the end of the day to wash, and eat matzah. The Rebbe Rashab and Tofre Samachvav also included, added the drinking of four cups of wine. And as I remember vividly, one of the most special moments in the year when the Rebbe's Bashiach Suda, the Rebbe would wash, Fabrengen would go into the wee hours, midnight, sometimes later. And after that would be benching and Mayriv and Havdallah. And then the Rebbe would still, a few more hours, distribute Keshel Brach. In the years when we were, I was a chazer, we would chazer the fabrengen, one of the most powerful fabrengens of the year, Achel Shapesach, Sudas Sudas Shal Mashiach. So it brings back tremendous memories, but not just memories, things we can live with right now. So a few questions came in about Achel Sudas Mashiach, so let's talk about it. Since we are still, as I said, within the literally 24 hours from when Pesach came to conclusion yesterday. Conclusion, as I said, not chasal sidr pesach, not a full conclusion, conclusion as far as the yomtev goes. I should even mention that I remember by the Fabrengans, you just saw clearly that when the Rebbe continued the Fabrengan, remember it was still yomtev until you bench, until you daven, until you daven mayrev actually. Because it doesn't matter, even though it's after the shkia, but the Rebbe was still yomtev. But you could see the Rebbe was carrying the pesach, extending it as much as we could extend it itself was somewhat of a, uh, somewhat something quite, uh, quite powerful and formidable in a good way. So a few questions about Mashiach Suda. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, can you please explain the significance of Mashiach Suda on the last days of Pesach, last day of Pesach? When did this tradition begin and why does only our community do it and it's not more widespread? Also, just like if someone wasn't able to bring the carbon Pesach, at the proper time, the Torah gives us a Pesach Sheni to make up for it a month later. If someone wasn't able to participate in the Mashiach Suda, what can they do to make up for it afterward in order to accomplish what it's meant to accomplish? Thank you. So the specifics as is already published in many different places. I'll just give a brief summary. 
The Baal Shem Tov instituted this Suda. At the time, it was really only known by a few people, the Baal Shem Tov, his students. It was only later that the Rabbeim revealed the concept of Mashiach Suda. And that's when Chassidim began to do it as well. That, as I said, in Tafre Samachvov, the Rebbe Rashab did it with the whole Trask, with the, all the Bochum and Yeshiva and Temchet Mim and Lubavitch, and instituted the four cups of wine. And after that, it became more and more popular. To say it's only by, by Chabad Chassidim, yes, it originates from the Baal Shem Tev, but like many things, it may begin from there, but it's meant to spread everywhere. I, for example, was at a Pesach program, which I returned from today, in, uh, in, uh, in Atlanta, near Atlanta, Georgia. There were over 1,000 people there, 1,000 people, and hundreds, hundreds, maybe five, 600 people came to Mashiach, so the 98% were not Chabad. When I say not Chabad, I mean the label of Chabad. If you want to put it in the context of Chabad being Ashkofa that many embrace, even if they're not card-carrying members, so to speak. And they were there, and it was extremely powerful. And that's part of the Avedi, just like we spread Chassidus and Teres Chassidus, Minhagiyah Chassidus, the customs and the gunim, the songs of Chassidus. So, so too, Mashiach Sud is one of the things, and it is part of our job, is to get it out there. And more than just, also teach its significance. And what is its significance? Its significance, as the Rebbe has put it many times, is to have a taste of Mashiach even when we, before the Geula has actually come. That at the end of Pesach, which is all about Geula, should have actually taste of Mashiach. The Rebbe Marash, the Rebbe would cite often, says in Vekocha, that when you eat matzah, it's like eating elokus. So when you eat matzah by Sudas Mashiach, you're actually internalizing Mashiach, Geula, elokus. That's the significance of it. So even though the entire Pesach and all its meals and all its customs, of course the Seder, is to recreate Geula, but on the last day of Pesach, when we say in the Haftarah, the Haftarah about Geula Mashiach, and we live with that type of energy. The conclusion of Pesach is what? Is the Gula Amitiz Vashlema. So the Sud of Mashiach is to be Mamchishit, to make it a reality, to make it a, a palpable reality in our lives. We're actually eating a meal called Sudosh Mashiach. I remember in Tov Shem Ches in 1988, the Rebbe actually spoke the difference between Sudosh Hashem Mashiach and, and Sudosh the Dovid Malka Mashiach. But Shab is this year. The Melava Malka, which is also called Sedosa the David Malka Mashiach, it was also Pesach, Achos Pesach yesterday was Mitzray Shabbos. It was the end of Shabbos. And the Rebbe distinguished between the two David Malka Mashiach and Sudas Mashiach of Pesach. It's printed, it's edited by the Rebbe, a very powerful Sikh of Tovshim Memches. The point being is that it's meant to be tangible, a real meal. You eat matzah, you drink wine, you sit and you sing the Nagunim of the Rabbeim. You're bringing a lakus in a mumchi, not just the muna Mashiach, not just talk about Mashiach, but actually eating a meal, washing, and as much as possible internalizing, digesting, if you wish, gu'ula lakus and Mashiach in our lives. That's its significant. And that is not a Chabad thing, that's for all Jewish people. Frankly, it's for the entire world. As the Rebbe explains in Tov Shemem Ches, that was for the entire world. It's meant to transform the world. The whole world should be the entire earth should be filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea and therefore it'll be there'll be no longer evil and no longer destruction no longer famine, no longer war. This is not just for the Jewish people, for the entire world. So this is something that everybody deserves to learn about and that's the mission that we have is to spread that. As far as like Pesach Sheni, I never heard that concept. If someone missed it, can they? But in general, in Yiddishkeit, one of the lessons we learn from Pesach Sheni, actually, there's nothing ever lost. So I would say, if a person, for whatever reason, cannot celebrate, could not have Mashiach Sudi yesterday, I can't say you can do the same thing. It's just like if you didn't do a Seder on Pesach. Even though Pesach Sheni does fulfill a certain aspect, it's still not a Seder of Pesach. So I would say, Maybe symbolically you can do something and definitely learn about it and read about it. So I'm sure there's no such thing as if someone missed it, that they're compl- that's impossible for them to fulfill it in some way. But obviously the time for the Sudas Mashiach is Anachim Pesach. Just like the time for the Korban Pesach was the first Pesach, but the Ebesh also gave in a second opportunity. 
So I would say you could apply that as well to Sudas Mashiach. That would be my opinion. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I had the thought that this, uh, I should add one more thing to this last point, especially considering that we're trying to live with Mashiach, not just in Achim Shapesa, but afterwards. As I mentioned before, the 28th, the Chav Ches Nisan Sicha. So obviously living with that concept is something not just for Achim Shapesa. And even those that did the Sudas of Mashiach can continue the spirit of it, continuing even the days after, and it should be that way. Okay. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I had the thought that the Seders and the first days of Pesach represent getting over and leaving our traumas behind, and the last days represent a new and stronger beginning after overcoming a big challenge. Okay, yes, absolutely, that's the process. When running away from something dangerous, such as escaping generations of slavery with the entire Egyptian army, with their best chariots chasing us, it takes a few days after reaching safety to calm down, talk about it, and process what happened. That is represented by the Seder, in which we remember the harsh details of the events and thank Hashem for rescuing and saving us. Okay, good. After we catch our breath, then it's time to plan what comes next and how to build and actualize a better life and better world. That is represented by the consciousness of Mashiach on the last days of Pesach, which inspires us to build positive change to make the world a better place. I understand that the Rebbe Rashab... Okay, good. So, so far, I totally agree. It's a beautiful way of putting it. And it actually answers another question that somebody asked, um, which was, can we apply the process of leaving Mitzrayim, following by Mashiach Suda at the end of Yom Tov, to our own freedom from our personal traumas? Absolutely. That's the whole point. Everyone has their internal Mitzrayim. In the beginning, Baruch HaSa'am, you just run from danger, like running from a burning building. And then comes a point where you begin to calm down exactly when the bleeding is stopped, so to speak. And the negativity and the toxins and all the, the, the inhibitions and fears, as I discussed earlier, the insecurities of the oppression and the duress of Mitzrayim comes to an end. And then you can begin to experience Gu'ul in the fullest sense of the word. And Taka says, they ran. That's why they didn't wait for the, for, the, for the yeast to rise, and that's why we eat matzah. But then comes a point of working on actually transforming and really appreciating it in a positive way. So you could actually say Mashiach so that has that element because it's the Gula Mitzvah Vashlema after the initial so-called escape from the negativity of Mitzrayim. Okay. But that leads to another question. I understand that the Rebbe Rashab instituted to drink four cups of wine during Mashiach Suda. But did we accidentally forget the fifth cup of wine for the who will herald Mashiach's arrival? So first of all, there's no accidentally forget. The Rebbe Rashab instituted what he instituted. He didn't forget anything, God forbid. It's exactly the way it was meant to be. If you're asking the question, why is there no fifth cup? So that's a, a, an interesting question. Remember, even in the Seder, the fifth cup, even though there is... Some call it the Kais Chamishi, Kais Elio. Some call it, there's a whole Sikha from the Rebbe on this. Some call the fifth cup a different cup. You know, connected the fifth expression of Geula. So it would seem to make sense that there should be a fifth cup Besudas Mashiach. But remember, even the fifth cup in the Seder is not the Chiyuv. The Mitzvah is the four cups. Then there's a certain element and symbolism in the fifth cup. So looking around, did the Rebbe ever talk about a fifth cup Besudas Mashiach? So in Tavshim Memtes, the Rebbe, many saw the Rebbe actually drink a fifth cup. And in Tavshinun, he also alluded to it. So you could say, even though the Rebbe never said, let's all drink a fifth cup, but you could say that the concept exists. There the Rebbe says, that if a person drank and is not sure, so they should be machmen, they should drink another cup. So you could say the Rebbe was hinting to it. I don't want to draw any conclusions because the Rebbe didn't institute it as in like the Rebbe Rashab said, four cups, the Rebbe says a fifth cup, but the answer is very straightforward. Why? Because the reason we don't say five cups. It's four cups of the Seder. That's the Iker. Then there's a, a Teisvis or a Hidur or a custom. So if someone drinks a fifth cup in the Sudas Mashiach, I don't think anybody will be upset. And the Rabbeim would definitely not see that as a negative. But that would be the way I would explain it. Remember also, sometimes 
you, you uh, commemorate something not necessarily by doing it, by, but just by remembering that it exists. So the four cups are Geula as they were in Mitzrayim. The Geula Mitzvah Vashlema didn't happen yet. So when we drink that fifth cup, it's still symbolic of what's coming. But you can't yet say that it's internalized. And then there'll be Kaiser Voya. We know when there'll be the Sud of Levyosn and we'll actually have a Kaiser Voya, a full cup. And that'll be a special, a special wine of Yayin HaMeshumer, special, powerful wine that will be revealed when Mashiach comes. So maybe that will be the ultimate fifth cup. Okay. Hi, Rabbi Jacobs. And I hope you and yours had a nice Pesach and your health and strength are only improving. I have a few questions. So these questions, one of them addresses this from Sudas Mashiach, the other, some other subjects. So let me begin with Sudas Mashiach question. Looking back at Pesach, in Eretz Yisrael, in Israel, we don't have an eighth day of Pesach. Correct, there's only one day, Shri Yishal Pesach, and that's Yom Tevens. The Rebbe made such a big deal about Achish Pesach being the eighth day and the energy that brings, being that we have only seven days of Pesach in Israel and have Mashiach Suda on the seventh day, what are we to make of the significance of a non-existent eighth day? Or another way of putting it, how do we explain Mashiach's meal being done in Israel on the seventh day, seventh day of Pesach? Okay. Well, I think this question can be answered with a bigger question. Why is there only one day of Yom Tov? In the beginning of Yom Tov, there's only seven days. One day of Yom Tov at the beginning of Pesach, then Chalamoid, five days. And then, uh, then, uh, then the Shvisha Pesach is the seventh day, the final day of Yom Tov. There's no Yom Tov Shal Golius, which means the second day that was added in Golus. Now, the technical reason is because how did we know when was a holiday? In those days, there were no, it wasn't based on the calendar, even though there were calendar calculations. It was based on witnesses. Kiddush al Two witnesses would come to the court of law, to Bezdin, and would say that we saw the new moon. However, that's explained, but they saw the beginning of the new moon. So based on that, Bezdin would say, okay, establish that Rishchidosh is this and this day, and therefore two weeks from this day will be Pesach, because two weeks, Tezvav Nisan, is dependent on Rishchidoshness. Now how did the news get to the entire Eretz Yisrael? So once Bezdin declared that, they had messengers that would go and, and they'd light torches on the hills of Jerusalem and throughout Israel, and the torches were a sign that Rishchidosh was established. That's how the word got out. Now, in Eretz Yisrael proper, in its boundaries, that, that, that message reached everyone enough time to know when to do Pesach. But in Golas, after the Churban Bayis Rishon, and definitely later, it was no longer possible to reach everyone because it's the countries, the Jews who live, let's say, outside of the boundaries of Israel, it took time till Shluchim would come. And by the time they came, they didn't, it was already close to Pesach or Pesach already. That's why they did a suffix. They said, since the calculations show this is with Bidashchez, but we're not for sure, we're not sure that it was designated. So they would do a second day, Mitzad the Doubt. And that remained today two, two days. But the question is asked today we have calendars. We know. We know exactly when Rashchez is. We know when the new moon is. We declare it, we say it, we announce it. And Shabbos Mavarchim, we know exactly when the new moon is. So why do we still celebrate two days? And in general, even the time then when it was done through, through the shluchim, the messengers, is it just purely for a technical reason? You suddenly have two days of Yom Tov, two Zdarim, you don't put on tefillin. In Eretz Yisrael, they put on tefillin on Achim Shabbat Not this year because it was Shabbos, but if it's in the weekdays. You don't put on tefillin, a mitzvah for every day because of this doubt. So the Ur Nerav, the Ramak, explains, Api Kabbalah, and it's brought in Samach Tzedek and brought in different places, that it's a deeper reason. That's the technical reason. There's a deeper reason. That which you can accomplish in Israel, in the holiest country of Eretz HaKedosh, in one day requires two days to unpack in outside of Israel. So it's because of the Klippa, because of the Eretz HaUmis, Eretz HaAmim, the nation, the, the living in land that is not that saturated with the Gedusha and holiness of Israel, you need two days. Just like when it comes to explaining to a student something that a, good, a, a, a prodigious a, a Talmud student will pick it up in, uh, in quickly. 
But someone that's slower, you need to explain it longer. So here too, the Gedusha of the Yom Tif requires two days. That's how it's explained. So based on that, Eretz Yisrael and Shri Shal Pesach has both the power of Shri Shal Pesach and Achor Shal Pesach. And yet there is a mile like the mile of Baal Tshuva. Even though outside of Israel doesn't have that Gedusha, but when you transform the mundane, the darkness of Golas and Chutzlaretz into a Yom Tif, it has a quality. So that's why there's something about Achor Shal Pesach that has something unique. But not God forbid that Israel is lacking it's just like the tzaddik doesn't have what the Baal Shuva has. So that's how you can explain this idea. Uh, it also explains what the Rebbe Mitla Rebbe said. Shemini Atzeres, Simchas Teda, Israel also. Simchas Teda celebrated on Shemini Atzeres. There is no Simchas Teda, a Yom Tif. There's no Yom Tif Sheni. So there's a Kof Shniyas, but that's already a weekday officially in Eretz Yisrael. So, said the Mitla Rebbe that in Eretz Yisrael, Mishmim Kashem Mit Bochevan. Now, are two different energies, but there it's all mixed together. Now, God forbid, he wasn't saying there's a chasadin. The chasadin is, they don't have that breakdown that we have due to the golos. Add something, just like the luchishnias, the second tablets, added more than the first tablets, but they came after a sin, the sin of the golden calf. So that's the common, that's the, a, a gen, a common, this is the general explanation when you talk about something that through the darkness we get a deeper experience, but as the soul has it more in a holy sense, and therefore everything is concentrated in that one day. Which leads me to other questions connected, not Dafka to Pesach. This same person asks another question, which I'm going to read now, around the Parshas. This year, because Achish Pesach is Shabbos, and in Israel, Yom Tov was over on Friday. So what Parsha did they read in, uh, yesterday? They read Parshas Achre. By us, we're not going to read Parshas Achre until next Shabbos. Next Shabbos in Israel, they'll be reading Parsha Gdeshim. So this person asks like this, can you please cover the Parsha we'll read in Eretz Yisrael as well as the one you read in Chutz Lodetz? Yesterday we read Achre Mois in Israel. So this Shabbos, coming Shabbos, Chavtes Nisan, we will read Gdeshim. What lesson do we take from the fact that there's a different Parsha energy in Israel than in Chutz Lodetz, meaning outside of Israel? We're taught Medaf Leb Medetzayt. We have to live with the time. And our site in Israel is different from yours in Chutz Lodetz. Your, our time is different. We read Pasha Achri when, when, when uh, we read Pasha Gedeshim when you will read Pasha Achri. So I think the same answer can be given. That in Israel, the, because of its powerful Kedusha, it's able to concentrate things and the way it's like a week ahead of us. Like you could almost like uh, forecast it. Israel tells you what's coming. They're already living with Achri yesterday. For us, Achri is not going to come till next week. Now you'll say, what about Lebmedetzayt? Well, that same question can be asked by many things, and Alter Rebbe actually asks it in Shulchan Aruch about other things, like Tikkun Chatzos, or Zman Krishma, or even Yom Tov and Shabbos. In Israel, when they start Shabbos, it's still weekday in, let's say, in the United States. In New York, it's, it's six hours, seven hour difference. When Shabbos is over in Israel, it's still Shabbos here. So which one is it? You could actually have do simultaneously. Someone's allowed to do work in, 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 in New York or outside of Eretz Yisrael when Eretz Yisrael you're not allowed to do work. It's Shabbos Kedish. So which one is it? Tikkun Chatzos in Israel, is, it's midnight, is different than when it is elsewhere. Says the Alter Rebbe, the Lamail of the Yichud is higher than time. In each world, each part of the time zone, each time zone, it comes into, it channels it in that time. There's actually a very powerful Maimer. And the Al-Tareb explains it with its Samach Tzedek's additions because he explains, so how does it get from higher than time into time? So I'm in Tovkuf Samach Tes, Tovkuf Ayin, Tovkuf Samach Tes, and Hesophis, he talks about that at length. It could be Tovkuf Ayin, one of the two, Tovkuf Samach Tes or Tovkuf Ayin. But bottom line is the concept has already been addressed. So the fact that living with the time, the energy of Achrei in Netzer's soul, just like Shabbos begins earlier, Achrei begins earlier, a week earlier. It won't be forever. They will reconcile. At some point, we're going to combine two chapters. And that way, we catch up. Okay. Okay, next question. Next issue. So since we're already talking about this, Parsha Achrei, I'll say something about Parsha Achrei and also about Parsha Gedeshim because it's going to be an Etzisol to fulfill this request.
Okay, good to hear that people are listening to this program in Eretz Yisrael as well. That's also very touching. So here's a question from Pasha Achre. What's the lessons of Pasha Achre to our lives? Well, we all know Achre Mois, Shnei Bnei Aden, as the name implies, Achre, after, after what? After the death, the tragic death of the two children of Aden, Nodav and Aviu, two chapters back, or more than two, Shmini. In Shmini, then came Sazriya, Mitzayra, Achre, three chapters back. That the sons of Aaron, the day when the, temp- the temple was erected and established, the Mishkan, they ran in in ecstasy, as the Irachayim says, and they were consumed by the strange fire. Arotze without a shuv in the language of Chassidus. They had a tremendous yearning, but they couldn't ground it. So now in this chapter, Achli, Achli, Meshnei, Bnei Aaron says, the Yes, you're allowed to go into that. That whole point, as they wanted, they wanted that passionate experience of experiencing God in an unfiltered way, in the Holy of Holies. But here's how you do it. Here's how you should do it right. And here we have the laws of Yom Kippur. Once a year, the Kayan God goes into the Holy of Holies and comes out intact because he goes in the proper way, the way the Torah designates, which of course is a lesson to us that sometimes in your ecstasy and your passion, all with good intentions, you can end up getting hurt. There has to be a certain humility, a certain trepidation, certain restraint, because when you get excited, sometimes that excitement, even though it's coming from a good place, can be overwhelming. And everything always has to be done in a way that is balanced. Loishina, one of the great qualities of Adam, the father of another one of you, is that when he lit the Meneda, he would not change any iota of what he was told. So the question is asked, what's the Bechidosh? Of course, God said, do it this way. No, because when you're in the throes of passion and you're in love, and reverence of God, and you're experiencing deep levels of ecstasy, very easy to shift. Not because you want to, because you're so consumed by it. So then it's even more important to have that type of restraint and bring that energy in a proper way, in a balanced way, which is the theme of Achre. Then comes Kedoshim. Kedoshim is Achre Kedoshim. Many years are read together. That after Achre comes Kedoshim, now you know how to get sanctified. Kedoshim to you. And as you saw, they're already having that when we're still in Achre and preparing, they're already reading Gedoshim, here's how you get sanctified. And not just Tam sanctified, Gedoshim to you, Kikodesh Oni, as the Torah of Chassidus that teaches, that not just that God is higher than you are, that His Gedusha, Kedushasi Lamaila Mekedushasnem, but Kedushasi, my holiness, Lamaila, comes from your Kedusha. That we actually can be equated, our sanctification can be equated with God's sanctification. Now, one question in Achre was asked. In Parshas Achre, it says we are only allowed to bring karbonus in the base of Migdosh. But nowadays, we have davening a place of karbonus offerings. But we are allowed to. But we are allowed to pray anywhere we want to. In a shul, in our homes, or even walking down the street, doesn't this violate? Does this violate the spirit of the rule not to bring karbonus outside of the base of Migdosh? Okay, an interesting question. Karbonus came to me in Tiknum. Tefillah became karbonus tikrim, I should say. Or Tefillah became midin tikrim. Prayer came to replace the offerings, according to one opinion. Some say it was the prayers were, were, were instituted by the Ovis, but it's, it, both opinions are correct. Since it comes to so called replace, that the prayers come to replace the offerings, the offerings can only be brought in the base of with all kinds of guidelines. So why don't the prayers have the same guidelines? But if you think about it, it goes back to the question, the same explanation before about chutzlah that's having two days of Yom Tov. Yes, it comes initially because we can't contain that powerful energy in one day. We need two days. But then there's always a mile that comes. Kalkolosan zui takanosan, as the Rebbe would speak about, uh, hakel, and the same thing with Simchas Besa She'eva. That even though today, it's not the way it was in the Besa Mitzvah, but today we can begin earlier, they didn't begin Simchas Beis HaSheva until the second day. We can begin earlier. Because we don't have a physical Beis HaMikdash, the Ruchnius has, gives us the power to even begin earlier. The same thing here. Tefillah, on one hand, is true. is only coming to replace the Karbonus. But just like the Beis HaMikdash, today B'Seicham, then only B'Shechina rested in the, in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, in the Beis HaMikdash. And by extension, it spread into each person's heart and soul. 
But today, as the Rebbe explains, Tov Shemem Zayin, Truma, based on a mimer from the Friedrich Rebbe, on Vasili Migdash Rishachanti Besechem, that in Tov Dalad, what's the word? The Rebbe says there, the Friedrich Rebbe says, and the Rebbe explains, that today, because we don't have a physical Beis Migdash, you actually have a far more expansive Beis Migdash. It's everywhere. And the same thing with davening. Even though it's coming because there's no physical base of English, but now we have the power to bring that Gedusha and power everywhere. And that's indeed the quality of what the prayer has that even Karbonas don't have. Okay. The next question is about Omer counting. We also began Svidus Emer, the second night of Pesach. I mentioned before, it's a perfect segue from Pesach into the personal refinement the Jews began counting. And one of the reasons, as the Ran says at the end of Psachim, was because of their gaguim, their yearning to Matan so they were counting down. And we take it even further, they refined themselves. Sfira comes from the word counting, it also comes from the word sipur, to tell a story, and also from the word sapip, to shine, to illuminate. The Sfira Seimer is also the refinement, the birur hamidis. That's why we say chesed shebe chesed till malchus shebe malchus. 49, seven times seven emotions. The Jews were preparing themselves spiritually and psychologically and emotionally for the, experiencing the full gu'ula. And that takes time. That's the 49 days. So someone asked the question, what is the importance of counting the Omer? So I just explained the importance. It's taking the, the gu'ula energy of Pesach and, and turning it into something that's working, that you are elevated by it. Not just there's a gu'ula, but you have to become a better person. You can be redeemed from prison and get out of slavery, and still remain uh, who you are. And you have to change. You have to change your personality. So within the 49 days, we also give each day a combination of seven times seven, which is the seven emotions. But these are only seven of the ten svirot. Is there a reason the three intellectual spheres of Chachma, Bina, and Das are left out, and we only count the seven? Another question, if we accidentally missed counting one day, will Hashem be angry and punish us? How can we fix it and make up for mistakenly forgetting to count one day? Okay. So the question about the Moichin and the Midas, good question. Now, think about it. Moichin is necessary because as Chassidus explains, to refine emotions, you need to contemplate on it. You need to focus. If you just go by your impulsive emotions, then you'll just stay where you are. The mind guides. But the mind is not part of the actual process of refinement. It's necessary step. So it's like when they went out of Mitzrayim, they had a power that able to redeem them. That was a higher power, a susa delayla, a power from above. God revealed himself and redeemed them. But now comes the work that they have to do. So Moichin is part of our work also in preparation, but the real work is where the, the work, where is the real battlefield, so to speak, is in the world of emotions. Is where your chesed is, where your gvura and where your bina. I'm sorry, your chesed, gvura, teferes, netzach, hey, yisrael, and malchus. As I explained, I've written a book called Spiritual Guide to Counting the Omer that many of you are familiar with. You could check that out for details. As well as an app, which this year we've completely upgraded, called My Omer. You can get an app, either iOS or an Android. It's a free app. Check it out. You can also get a daily email. That reminds you but now of the counting as the app does as well as the exercise for the day with a meditation on each of these emotions. So where does the work play itself out in the emotional realm? It's just like in a relationship. The love and relationship between spouses or between friends or between two people. The key is the emotions. The mind is prepares you because you contemplate, you misbeinen, you meditate, you understand. Then you're ready to enter the, I don't call it the battle zone per se, because sometimes it is a battle, but the real place where it plays itself out in the emotional realm. Okay, about forgetting, so if you forget, you can't continue counting with a blessing, but that doesn't mean you can't continue counting, and doesn't mean you can't continue refining yourself. And like anything in life, if the refinement wasn't done, so you have to try the next day to do even better. There's no such thing as lost completely. Just to answer that uh, question. Okay. Now, running out of time, I wanted to just cover, since Chav Ches Nisan is this Friday, it's 31 years, so I just want to point out, point out one thing a person wrote, seemingly coming from Pesach, which may be a good segue here. 
Hello, Rabbi Jacobson. One of the most annoying things during a family road trip is the kids that keep on screaming, are we there yet? When we keep asking Hashem to send Mashiach, are we subconsciously expressing a lack of faith and trust in God's plan and that God has a, and God has a plan to send Mashiach at the proper time that He determined? Are we like the kids in the backseat that keep screaming, are we there yet? I would say the exact opposite. The Rebbe taught us that obviously we have total amunah and betochen in Hashem. But part of the Munna Betachen is saying to Hashem, you want us to want Mashiach. And that's why we're Teveya. The Rebbe speaks from the Chidah and others. Not just we wait for it. We demand, we expect it, we are anticipating it. Mechakaleh. Not just that we uh, are, are believe that it will come. And indeed, from children you can actually learn the opposite. I know it's annoying to parents. But the opposite, with God, I wouldn't say it's annoying. Because that's what he also wants, his goal. So maybe we should be, be like children. Not to do it in a way that is, uh, is, is inappropriate. But to be like children, that's a lesson. Maybe as, as, it, as many parents took their children for trips on Pesach and they saw this, experienced this, maybe this is a lesson how we should be crying out. And I was thinking about it because Chav Ches Nissen is what the Rebbe did. He cried out just a few days after Pesach. After Achrushah Pesach. So now that we're coming to Chav Ches Nissen, 31 years ago, maybe this is a good lesson of us crying out Ad Mosai and all the other expressions that the Rebbe used then and other times of demanding and pushing and yes, learning from children who really want to get there already. We want to get there, we want to get there. So this is not justifying any of the annoying element, it's just pointing out that there's something about the enthusiasm of children that we can learn from and the sincerity and the tmimus. Now, I would love to talk more about Chavches uh, Nissen, and we will do so. Um, but, but because of limited time, I'm going to just refer you to, I've spoken about Mashiach many, many times, probably the most, most uh, popular recurrent theme in uh, My Life, Chassidus Applied, which make, is, it makes total sense. So I did speak about it last year at length, when we were in episodes 347 through 356, which was 30 years from Chavches Nissen, as well as many other times, and I referred to it then. So if you want more on this, please go there, and we'll really cover it as good as I could do right now, and maybe even better, who knows. So that covers that. I want to just conclude with a Chassidus question, and that is, how can we perpetually be leaving Mitzrayim? So we said, In every generation, a person has to see himself and vision as if he's leaving Mitzrayim. The Alter Rebbe adds in Tanya, chapter 47, that this should be every day, not just every generation. The truth is, it should be every moment. Why? How is that possible? Because we're not talking about the physical land of Egypt, we're talking about the spiritual land of Egypt. What is the spiritual, psychological parallel to Egypt? Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim v'gvulim, duress, pressure, dire straits, anything that's oppressive, that's limiting, constraining, fill in the blanks. All our fears and insecurities, whether it's serious traumas or losses, or anything that doesn't let you spread your wings, that's a Mitzrayim. So even when we experience one form of Mitzrayim, there's always more. Yesterday's Mitzrayim that you were freed from, today there may be a new limitation. It's like climbing the mountain. Today, the horizons that you didn't see yesterday, you see them today, but now you have to conquer new horizons. So this is a perpetual journey all the way to the Gula Mitzvah Vashlema, which explains also the statement that everybody was so shocked by, that Rebbe saying, everything I did was Lehevelodik, which means to, to naught. How could you say such a thing? Because compared to what, if you knew what Gula was, no matter how much was accomplished, it's like naught. And I remember then thinking about the Medrash, the Rebbe, every word came from his Torah. Shechina medaberes metergreine. There's a medrash. Hevel havolim is a posik in Kehalas. Hevel, the word the Rebbe used. Hevel havolim. All is vain. All is uh, not. All is not. Hevel havolim. Says Shleim HaMelech in Kehalas. Says the medrash. That kol Torah be'elam aze hevel hu legabe teras hosha Mashiach. How could you say such a thing? But that's what the medrash says. The whole Teda of Elam Azef. Now let me explain what that means. Teda Shebiksav and Teda Shebal Peh, the Teda that Moshe Rabbeinu got from Hashem. Moshe Kibbal Teda Messinai. The whole Teda Shebal Peh, 
We're talking now the Tanoim and the Amiroim. And then go to all the generations afterward, the Rabbonu Soveroi, the Ga'enim, the Rishenim, Machimim. All Hevel who legabet terosu shal Mashiach. So you have to say, no, the word is not, don't focus on the word Hevel. Focus on the word terosu shal Mashiach. If you knew what kind of gili that was, it's not just an additional light. If it was additional, you can't call it Hevel. You can't call it not. But if it's like the power of a sun compared to a flame, the Gemara says, Shnaga betire, maya'ana. A flame in the light of the sun, what benefit is there? As a matter of fact, this even says it darkens the area. You light a flame in the middle of a sunlight, a bright sunny day, and not only doesn't it add light, it's actually darker that little area. That doesn't mean the flame doesn't have light. It's all relative. So compared to what the ghoul is, and when we learn Siddhis and you learn it powerfully and you really appreciate it, and maybe we don't fully appreciate it, but the Rebbe did, then you understand why it's all the Hevel Arik. Not because nothing was accomplished. The Rebbe would never say that. Because, of course, he accomplished. And the Rebbeim before him accomplished. But compared to what we want, the, the, the finish line, the Gula Mitzvah Vashlema that we're all aspiring to. Then, the whole Golos, everything accomplished, is like Hevel Hu, the Gabi Mashiach. So, with that, let us conclude this program, episode 399. One more week will be 400 episodes from when we began this series, My Life Chassidus Applied. It's always a great honor. Please submit your questions completely anonymously. Every question is acceptable. Nothing is taboo. At chassidusapplied.com. You can find all the previous episodes there. You can also find all the essays and the creative submissions from previous years, as well as other many multiple multitude of resources on Hasidic resources, all at chassidusapplied.com, including a program which I began around a year ago called Tanya Applied. So with that, everyone have, we should take the Geula of Pesach and march into the Geula Mitis Vashlema even before Chavches Nissen and be reunited with the Rebbe and all the Rabbeim in of Yefutsu Maynesecha Everyone have a very good week. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Be well. This program is brought to you by My Life. Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapplied.com slash donate.